Oh, hang on, gotta let the cat out. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey Podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. And Bruce is in the process of letting his cat out the door, and here he comes back. <laughs> so, Bruce, a fantastic, fantastic game tonight. Utterly fantastic game tonight. My headline is that uh, Connor McDavid had a Gretzky of a game. Because I remember, well, uh, Gretzky often going into trial and just putting the boots to the Leafs. And that's what Connor McDavid did tonight. He 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 might have had, was that his most memorable game ever? I mean, that that is, it's on the list. It's on the short list. Yeah. He was, he was utterly dominant tonight. And, and to, you know, to do it in Toronto, to flash that big, big smile in the Edmonton Oilers jersey of triumph in Toronto, when we both know, you know, how snarky and snidely the, the Toronto media, some of the Toronto media, not all of them, some of the Toronto media has been about McDavid and Edmonton and from the from the day he was drafted. It was, there's an extra level of satisfaction tonight. And is it schadenfreude for Oilers fans at the, at the misery of the Toronto Maple Leafs? You know, we've heard, the, the, you know, about the genius Leafs and the greatness of the Leafs, and it's just nice to go in there and totally have our team, the Edmonton Oilers, dominate the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was an utterly dominating performance, not just by McDavid, but by the Oilers. 20 grade-A scoring chances to 11 for the Leafs, 6-4 victory. Pretty sweet, Abers. Pretty sweet, and a long, long time coming. The last time the Oilers won a game in Toronto was 2010, Yikes. nearly 10 years ago. It was December of, of 2010, so nine years ago. But Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly were rookies. That's how long ago it was that the Edmonton went into Toronto and won. And from then to now, there's been a series of extremely painful defeats. The Devin Dubnik game on Hockey Night in Canada when Dallas Aiken swarmed defense, let everybody down. Toronto came back and won in overtime when Ryan Nugent Hopkins got tripped. And they'll call leading to a three-on-one. Not that I remember these kind of details from seven years ago. Or that time that uh, Toronto scored 21 seconds into the first period on a deflection in front of Laurent Brossois and won one nothing despite Oilers pumping 41 shots on Curtis McElhenney, Toronto's backup goalie. Then there was a time Nazem Kadri hooked Conor McDavid oh, right. in the neutral zone in overtime, <laughs> stole the puck off him. And I'm talking pain, and I'm talking this decade of pain, and I'm loving it tonight. Take it, Toronto. Enjoy the defeat. <laughs> yeah, suck it. Hey, I'm a, I, there's something different about our pot. Like, are you? Am I big on your screen tonight or little? Oh, you're, you're big. You're big on my screen tonight. Usually, it's yeah. the other way around. Okay. Anyway. Whatever. I always have me in a little corner and you kind of uh, dominating the oh, center of the screen. Anyway, yeah, you are feeling. Oh, <laughs> then there was a time Shot here where Freud Chris out. Russell scored on a slap shot into his own net with one minute left in regulation. You'll remember that one. Oh, yeah, they blurred into pain, pain, pain when it comes to the Leafs. So yeah. any win over Toronto is a glorious night as far as I'm concerned. Bruce, the winners are looking good, you know. Yeah, they're, they're looking, well. They're looking good, and I've been saying all along. Of course, I say this every year that, that this is the <laughs> this is the year. But th th there have been market differences this year, and the most market difference of all that we're starting to see is a Connor McDavid, who is absolutely determined to take this team and carry it on its back into the playoffs. 
to the to you know there was a little criticism a few weeks ago of McDavid's uh, even strength play wasn't up to snuff might have even been mentioned on this podcast about Once, yeah. fifty times and um, I don't know I doubt he listens to these podcasts but maybe uh, maybe that's just the maybe he realized that the coaching the coaching staff got through to him that's the most likely thing that happened of course is it, and he and he has totally pulled up his socks in the defensive end and the puck watching has come to an end. Uh, generally speaking, and he's really playing well. So we're going to do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast, but we're going to each do two good things because it's that kind of night. What is your first good thing, Bruce? I could do a lot of good things tonight, but number one with a bullet has to be Connor McDavid's performance in uh, near his hometown of Richmond Hill, Ontario. And Connor had the, had the puck and the Leafs on a string tonight. Uh, just dominated the game, created chance after chance, beat defenseman after defenseman one-on-one, got fouled a number of times, or he would have been in clear a few more times, but they finally called one in the third. Uh, But he uh, set up three different uh, uh, Oilers goals and uh, on on very nifty setups. And then, uh, uh, of course, he scored the goal, I would say the goal of the year that he scored in the third period in a four-on-four situation when uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, to his credit, made a fine defensive play at the Edmonton blue line, hooked the puck out to McDavid in the neutral zone. And McDavid spent, it seemed like an eternity, but it was probably only about three seconds that he had the puck on his stick. He never looked down at it. He never looked towards the Toronto net. He looked back, back, back towards the Oilers and waiting for a teammate to join him on the rush. And then without changing his backwards glance, all of a sudden he took one step to the outside and around a very fine defenseman in Morgan O'Reilly, and he was alone in front, and he finished it off with a very nifty backhand to forehand to roof of the net deep with just a dazzling play, almost slow motion, but the one step was just lightning fast. And he just, I mean, Riley might as well have had his skates tied together. You see him when he was going to the bench and he was just shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. McDavid, it's getting to the point where when McDavid's one-on-one with an NHL defenseman, it's not fair anymore. He, he will beat that defenseman. He, he, will, he will beat, he, it's, it, he, if there's not a foul, yeah, uh, and, or wow. the defenseman doesn't have a really good angle on McDavid, mm-hmm. um, McDavid's going to beat that guy. Right now, he's he's never been better. A lot, of, a lot of teams focus on trying to keep McDavid wide, and they know that even if he comes inside, he's only got the one shot, and they trust their goalie to to come out. And we saw a couple of those tonight where you know McDavid couldn't go across the Royal Road with the, with the puck. If he can take it from one one post to the other, the goalie's in serious trouble. Uh, and in this uh, in the case of the goal, he did. You know. Uh, I think I, I was saying recently to my wife, you know, it's been a while, you know, McDavid's playing all right, but it's been a while since he sort of took a game on his shoulders that said, we're not going to lose this game. I'm going to take over and make sure. And this, this was that game where he was such a dominant player on the, on, uh, on the ice that the other team did not have an answer for him. Well, he had that first great shift. I don't know if it mm-hmm. was his first shift, but a shift early in the game where he, um, he first cut hard into the slot and got Edmonton's first grade A chance. And then he just stayed out on the ice. He was out there for yes. a minute 39. And the owners just kept cycling the puck. And he was off in the middle of it all the way along, making plays all the way along. And he yep. just stayed out there and stayed out there and stayed out there. 
And finally, the puck went back to Clefbaum at the point, and he put it on net, and, and uh, Joachim Nygaard uh, made a hell of a screen, and the Oilers scored one nothing. Like, you know, an NHL game, we, we both know, on the, the league is so close. Any, any team can win, and it's really important what happens in the early moments of a first period, I find. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just I, I'm just sitting on the edge of my seat in the first period, honestly, in an NHL game. Like, like who's going to come out and get that first goal? Um, because it just seems all important. I know it it isn't, but I, I wonder what statistically the team who scores first does. How many? It, what it, what percentage it is of wins? It's good. It's way over sixty percent. Yeah. So I'm just and and for him to come out and do that was it's fan freaking fantastic. Yeah, right, that my, was a long shift. Like he had complete change of line line mates, and he hung out there, and it looked like every time it looked like he might decide to go off, the puck would come to him again. So he'd have to make another play with it, of course. Yeah, and he might. I bet you he handled the puck six or seven times on that long sequence. Bruce, my good thing is, um, so the Oilers gave up two goals right at the end of the uh, third period. They did their best in the excuse me second period. They did their best in the second period to let Toronto back into that game. Um, and we're going to get into a little bit more detail on that shortly when we get to our bad things. But my uh, good first good thing is, you know, after that happened, the, the Leafs could have come out in the third, and we were I, I was kind of half expecting it because we, we've seen the Oilers cave um, a number of times um, late in the game in the third period. But this game, they came out, and they were the better team, and they dominated the third um, as well. They had, let me see here, five grade-A chances to three for the Leafs in the third period. and um, nine, shot, nine shots to seven when they were holding uh, a multi-goal lead for most, most of the period. Yeah, so until that were, power play. Yeah. Until that power play goal by Matthews, the Leafs didn't really have, they didn't have a grade-A chance and they didn't put much pressure on, on the Oilers. That was, a, that was an outstanding uh, play. I thought the defensemen were particularly good in the third period, the Oilers defensemen, but the, the forwards too, all of them were, were playing really strong, um, responsible hockey. And we've seen the Oilers do this in other games. They, they can play that way. And it's great to see it more and more. So that's my good thing. What is your second good my thing? My second good thing is the offense from the defense. Uh, we saw that in spades tonight with defensemen scoring the first two goals. Of course, the, uh, uh, the two big uh, time on ice uh, minute munchers, uh, Clefbaum and Nurse. But you know what? Here's a rare stat that you will not see very often, at least not from this team. All six defensemen got a point in this game. And you just, that just doesn't happen. But we had Clefbaum from Larson and McDavid, Nurse from McDavid and Bear, Yamamoto from Jones and Dry Settle, with Jones right in the middle of that play. That was beauty. Uh, and then Chris Russell with the first headman pass to Negard that turned into Chason's goal. And, you know, Oilers, other than that first goal with that tremendous long pressure that they had, all other five of their goals were scored on the rush. And they were scored on the rush with the defenseman getting involved and making things happen. So, uh, uh, you got, you know, you got to like that. I mean, that's what that's what we've been crying for is... Uh, is more, you know, five in attack, five in defense. You know, the whole idea is there. It's that you actually do have five in attack. And when you have all the defensemen chipping in, well, that's uh, that's the ideal. So uh, hats off to those guys and some some very nice plays among them to uh, to earn those points. Indeed, indeed. Um, Clefbaum was one of the 
you know, in our own stats keeping, Bruce, one of the things you hardly ever see is a defenseman credited with a major contribution to a scoring to a scoring chance or a goal on a screen play. But that was Clefbaum on Dreisaitl's goal. He mm-hmm. went hard to the net and Dreisaitl shot right through him and, and scored. Even it was a hell of a shot, but Clefbaum made a great screen as well. So good for Clefbaum. Uh, so my uh, second good thing is the play right now of Kyler Yamamoto and Caleb Jones, the Bakersfield connection. Uh, both players who are called up from Bakersfield this year and both players who I think are making a significant difference. When Jones is in the lineup, he he's not playing. He only played nine minutes tonight, but it just changes the complexion of the team because suddenly you have three defensemen capable of moving the puck and you have a puck moving defenseman, puck passing defenseman on every pairing, including uh, Russell with Jones. And I noticed a number of times Russell, you know, putting the puck over to Jones and Jones getting it out. That's a huge difference for the Oilers um, as opposed mm-hmm. to Russell and maybe Nurse uh, who don't get it out. You have Nurse with Ethan Bear, he gets it out. Then you have Clefbaum with Larson, Clefbaum gets it out. So that's just, that's a major change for the Oilers. And, and Jones finally showed some of the offensive flair that he genuinely has, where he came deep, joined the, joined the attack, got the pass, you know, an absolutely brilliant pass from the Archie What a know. pass! What a pass! It was yeah. it was a pass that only he can make. Maybe there's a couple other players in the NHL who can make that pass, backhand pass right across the ice, hard on the stick. And then Jones made a, a not not as great a pass, but an, like a, a scintillating pass in his own right, putting it over to Yamamoto, who one timed it in the net. Yamamoto just buried it. He did yeah. just sort of baby that one home. That was a rocket. Give me a half a chance, boom, in the net. He's Gotta doing what it. he didn't do. Like he, he he had good underlining underlying mm-hmm. and scoring chance numbers in his first two stints uh, with the Oilers. Yamamoto did, but he didn't score. He just he scoring. was ineffective around that end. It's, it's, this game's about scoring goals, and now he's he's doing that. He drew a penalty as well. Uh, with a kind of a Yamamoto, sneaky Yamamoto kind of play, I think. That there. was the that was the old. I saw that as the old Glenn Anderson kind of hard <laughs> hard dive. You know, Andy he would go he'd go in, and somebody got a stick or something in there, and Anderson would just sort of stumble and crash heavily to the ice, and the ref would. By the time he had time to think about it, his arm was already in the air for two seconds, and he kind of had to make the call, right? And and that was one of those like. It's it's, uh, it's a skill, and it's one that he has proven at the minor league right over and over again this year from multiple observers. I kept hearing how jo- how Yamamoto was drawing penalties consistently in the AHL, and we saw just a little taste of that black art on that one play. So how does this feel, Bruce, to have three players in Bear, Yamamoto, and Jones? Like, And Yamamoto changes the complexion of the team as well because he, he gives them the ability to actually have two functioning top lines which they have right now. They really do. They have two lines that can put the boots to you when they're out there. And, and it must be scary for the opposition to have to face. So he, he he changes it up. So we have three players from the farm system making a major impact this year. I can't, I don't, well, I'm going to probably have to do a post and go back and look at the last time we had this kind of thing. Probably in the early 2000s, right? When you had the Horkoff, Stoll, Gang, Pisani, those, those guys coming up from... Uh, from the farm team in Cape Breton, I believe it was, or where was it? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's been a while. It's been a while. Right? So these are all Shirelli era picks, and people mm-hmm. hate, hate it when I say that, but it is credit where it due. Credit where it due. due. These are all Shirelli era picks. Peter Shirelli restocked the Oilers farm system, and you can say whatever you want about the guy. He made a lot of mistakes. He made a terrible signing in the Milan Lucic signing, a terrible trade in the Reinhardt trade, but he did 
they're under his watch. However it was done, whoever gets the credit, whatever, I don't care. Good draft picks were made. Enough good draft picks and signings were made um, to restock the Oilers' farm system. And it's paying dividends. I don't know that it was extraordinary drafting. Just compared to the Oilers' previous record for about <laughs> yes. the previous 30 years. It, it, it was great. good draft. Yeah. It was actually I mean, they, getting guys out of the, other than the first round. Like For years, it was just like a desert. Any pick outside of about the uh, top 10. And yeah. the owners would pick meh kind of players over and over again. So to, to actually have some, you know, fourth and fifth, third rounders, you know, playing in the NHL is, I mean, that's how it's supposed to work. But it's nice to see it actually working that way for the Oilers. Yeah, just think if they had taken Matthew Kachuk instead of, anyway, let's not get into it. I hope Bruce, so. let's, um, yeah. Probably every order process the mind of every orders fan every second day. Um, so, Bruce, what is your bad thing? Well, I hate to be critical after such an exciting game, but uh, the orders bottom six kind of got caved in this game by Toronto's bottom six, uh, where they gave up uh, the uh, Sheehan, Archibald, Caroline gave up two goals at even strength. And they were, you know, these are goals scored by uh, Jason Spezza and Freddie Gauthier. And then the uh, uh, Toronto's uh, third line, fourth line even. um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Kapanen, Engvall, they scored against Edmonton's, uh, against the uh, Gaten-Haas trio. And so Edmonton's bottom six got out, scored three goals to zero in this game. Uh, well, I guess Chason got one, so we'll make it three to one. But uh, it was uh, uh, their job is to, you know, to limit the damage. And, you know, if you give up one, well, that's going to happen. But three is, uh, is uh, you know, they lost their part of the game pretty significantly. But The, 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 the Haas line was good, but the Cheyenne line was, was not. They struggled, yeah, and they, they also got good. torched for the power play goal against yeah. also that was a that was a tough call on Cheyenne on the, I think it was a, probably a penalty, but it was like an inadvertent one. Oh. Um, Kara is my bad thing, his play on the first goal against. The owners are up 3 nothing at that point. And Toronto breaks up the ice, it's three on three. Nothing's happening, Bruce, nothing's going to happen. And who gets slow, who's ahead of the player, he, he's, he's ahead of the, his check coming back in the Toronto end. But by the time they get to the Edmonton end, I think it's Pierre Engvall has gotten ahead of Kara. He gets to play in the slot, puts it over to Spetson and a goal. That was just a terrible back check. It, by, by any player, it's a terrible back check. But on your, for, a checking, for a player who's supposed to check... It's just, well, it's, he, can't just ha- he can't keep making that kind of play and stay in the NHL It's is the bottom line. The Oilers have just scored to make it 3-0. Put yourself back in the situation. Uh, of course, their top lines have been involved in the goal scoring. So they put out their most reliable checking line uh, with a 3-0 lead, and they can't survive one shift without giving up a golden scoring opportunity that gets turned into a goal. And uh, as you say, it was uh, probably Kara that was made the biggest... Uh, mistake on that, although, you know, Cheyenne was a long way away by the time the puck went in. I'd have to review where on the ice he got beat. He got but, beat up the ice. He lost mm-hmm. the battle in the offensive zone, and then Archibald allowed the pass into the slot. Um, but really, if you're yeah. just 
staying with your man and checking your man and and on well, top of it and and thinking I better <laughs> I better make this play because that's what I'm out here for. That's my job. 100%. It's my only job. So, I I mean I I, I have at times been a really big Kara uh, fan. Judari has played some. He, he was a really strong player in the AHL at the end, and he's had some really good runs of play, some good games with the Oilers. He's on a really bad run right now, and um, I mean, there's you know the the whispers, the you know the talk radio talk is you know he could be he could be on the way out, and maybe that's affecting him. Maybe it's he's it's getting him down or something. But he's he's got to pick up his game. He's just got to start moving his feet and make that play. He can he could. It's just you can't yeah, have he, that happen. He really, really has a rise of tides of confidence. It seems like when he's yeah. on his game, it's very, very good. And yeah. he's got a lot of game. He's got a lot of breadth to his game. He and, does big, fast, tough. Can make a play. Kill penalties. Kill penalties. You know, and can play play the physical game. Can win board battles. Can cycle. But then when when his game starts to go on him, it seems like it all goes. You know it. it, it I'm not saying you, you got to trade this player, but it might be a case where a trade of this player might actually help him. Maybe he yeah, needs, maybe, maybe he that, needs that to to wake, you know, just a wake up call, a new a new setting, a new coach, just just get in with a new group, reinvent your not reinvent yourself, but just reset, and um, might help might help him. You'd think at some point Tippett will be tempted to let him watch a game from on high and maybe put Patrick Russell out in his well, that, spot because he can count on Patrick Russell to do the little things. That basically, that's all Patrick Russell does, but he doesn't consistently and he does them well. Yeah, he and, and he did that already, didn't he? Have, didn't mm-hmm. Kerry get sit for a game or two? Maybe a long time ago. but Like uh, three weeks, two weeks. The last time Russell was in. Or maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, maybe no, it was I think probably, Yeah, I think you're right. And it may... May just he just needs to be on that cycle to the press box once in a while or something like that. I'm yeah, kind of at a loss, David. To tell the truth, at this point, his third full year in the NHL uh, and his sixth year in pros, that some the mistakes like the one you just described, they just really shouldn't be happening. What's your number? Well, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of very interesting numbers from this game, but I'm going to go with the very unusual double digit from the event summary. That's not from the face-off aisle. And that is 10 hits by James Neal, who played an extremely rugged and effective game tonight. Uh, and he was finishing his checks and playing with uh, playing with purpose and... and uh, uh, and physicality throughout, and I thought he was effective, and that was part of the reason that uh, McDavid was finding the open ice that he was finding was uh, uh, Neil was doing his work, softening up Toronto defenders and creating some space. Uh, he also had seven shot attempts, four on goal, like he was very involved in this game, but the, those hits, and there was, there was one, I don't know if you saw it, the filthy sequence he had with uh, Justin Hall uh, late in the first period, when uh, they were battling along the boards, and Neil, first of all, he cross-checked Hall from behind, uh, kind of into the boards, could have been a penalty. Then he tripped him while he was trying to pull the puck out from uh, from the boards. He whipped his stick through Hall's skate, sent him flying to the ice. Hall swung around, he whacked Neil on the back with his stick with a slash. Then he got up and he cross-checked Neil once in the corner, and then the second time he cross-checked him so hard he broke his stick. 
and the ref didn't call one penalty out of the whole sequence. It was only after his stick was on the ice that he tripped Ethan Bear that the ref then called Justin Hall for a, for a penalty. But that was a, that was as mean and and really dirty a sequence of like old style seventies eighties hockey of you know the man on man. Uh, flame war, right? They were just really going at it, and uh, that was, it was uh, just <laughs> yeah, Bobby Schmatz versus Pierre Bouchard. <laughs> I, you know, when Neil is physical, Bruce, when James Neal plays physical, he looks like he might even be a five point five million dollar a year winger in those games when when he brings his A game, his total A game. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a good player still. Now he he's not I, a lot of game tonight, David. I, I don't think he can do that all the time. Oh. Um, and he he picks his spots. I'd love to see him in the playoffs because this may be a foreshadowing of of the kind of game he'll bring consistently in the playoffs. You know, and Lucic, everyone said Lucic is going to be this good mm-hmm. player in the playoffs. But when he got to the playoffs that year, mm-hmm. he was one of the more underwhelming Oilers I I found. Anyway, that's uh, yeah, yeah Neil. That. But, I mean, but last, Neil is last game against Boston. You might recall I singled him out for several hits in the first period, including mashing. Uh, David Pasternak a few minutes after Pasternak had hit Clefbaum. Well, wouldn't you know it, but today, I think it was today, I heard an interview with James Neal, and they specifically referenced that hit, and he kind of had a little gleam in his eye as he was talking about, you know, when when you know when one of your teammates is taking one, you're kind of taking a number, and if you get if you're the one who gets the chance, you take that chance, and uh, and he sure did. And to my eye, David Pasternak was a more effective player in that game before that hit than he was after. I, I think these players like Neil Lucic, Mike Smith, like the, these really are strong personalities. And, uh, you know, if, if things go well for them, I think they really can pull a team along with them just because they're, you know, they're veteran guys who have just dominating personalities anyway. You get the sense with Neil and Smith that that's the case, and certainly with Lucic. Alrighty, my number is um, Connor McDavid's um, major contributions to grade A scoring chances tonight. Bruce, he had 12. 12 major contributions to grade A chances. Like, I think he averages about four a game. So that was three games worth in one game. And he had zero mistakes, zero um, grade A mistakes on, zero major mistakes on grade A chances again. So, that's as good as it gets for an NHL center uh, playing tough competition. That's as good as it gets. You can't play any better two-way hockey than that. You, 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 I've never seen, like, I think we've, we might have seen some games where guys have been in maybe on 14 or 15 grade-A chances, McDavid. Like, there might have been a few games like that, but then maybe they leak a few against. Right. That was amazing. That was a, that's a perfect game. So I had to, I, in the grades, I gave him a 10. And uh, uh, I asked people on Twitter what they would give them, and I think everyone's pretty much everyone's saying a ten. Well, you asked me before we went on air, yeah. and I said to agreed it was a ten too. I mean, it was a high nine, which turns it into a ten. I mean, uh, it basically it was a ten. If he's made no defensive mistakes on top yes. of that, and he got uh, and he got two assists on plays where you didn't rate him with a scoring chance, but where he was involved in the buildup that led to. To a goal, like he—I don't know how many times he brought the truck puck in over the Toronto blue line, but it would have been a lot. Yeah, he just—he was—it was almost a flawless performance. He, and and then there was on top of it were these uh, dominating plays and and one truly spectacular play that's going to be—you know—at the oh, end of his yeah. career, 
that could that that could be on the highlight reel. You know, if they show three or four plays, oh yeah, that might, that might be one of them. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, there'll be a couple of them scoring Stanley Cup winning goals, though. Too Bruce, that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd be nice. He's starting to look like that player, and um, you know that's his pedigree. He should win Stanley Cups. He should be. He should lead teams to Stanley Cups, and I think one day he's going to here in Edmonton. So that's the kind of that's how. That's the feeling tonight in Edmonton, I think, is like we're finally seeing this this team coming together kind of like that 2016-17 team did. And I know this is all premature, obviously, because I'm so excited by that performance tonight. But that's how it feels to me tonight. I like to see him smile after he scored. That's, <laughs> that's, I love watching. That's one of the things I loved about the 80s Oilers is how much they loved to score and how they celebrated their goals. And there are times that I kind of wish McDavid would let his guard down a little bit and truly celebrate on a on a great play. And I think we saw that tonight. He, he clearly was enjoying the game. Like there was a few smiles on the bench and he was feeling it and he was feeling and he was feeling like he was in charge of it. And uh, it was great to watch. Yeah, Drysaddle's the same way. Kind of, he's he doesn't really celebrate too much. He's he's such a stern fellow. And then there's you know New just kind of modest when he scores. And yeah, the, you know maybe the full Yakupov now and then might be maybe that's too much. But Gretzky was so thrilled every time he scored. He really mm-hmm. celebrated. He loved to score, and they all do. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. Great to see McDavid yeah. smiling. All right. Oh, and, oh, one one other thing. Big Leon. On the three on five, minute twenty three oh, yeah. seconds, three on five, and they have Big Leon out there, and they have Big Darnell and Big Oscar. The same three guys killed the entire three on five penalty, <laughs> and all three of those guys were horses for Edmonton tonight. Yeah, maybe played I should monster bump up minutes, mark. and that played monster minutes. And that three on five, even though Toronto later got close, when it was three to one, I thought, geez, that that nice burst, we were up three nothing, and now they're going to get a two man advantage. Maybe they'll score two power play goals and tie it up. And to come out of that thing unscathed, and really, I don't think with a lot of great chances in there. I think they just they just shut her down. And uh, uh, more power to them. And, uh, and Leon has, that's the fourth or fifth time the Oilers have been three on five this year for a minute or more. And he's been the go-to guy every time and gotten the job done. It's uh, a nice ace. I mean, for all that we sometimes carp about its defensive play and, and that particular assignment three on five he's been ace oh and he and he can be and he will be like if he gets if the orders get to the playoffs leon dry two-way game is going to be off the charts and his defensive play is going to be he he reminds me and, and not in some ways but in other ways he reminds me quite a bit of a guy named mark messier yeah i was just remember uh everybody will remember who's old enough uh, and what people have forgotten when they remember Mark Messier, the domineering uh, playoff uh, player, in the regular season, he made tons of mistakes. I, <laughs> what I, did I, he ever? I, I used to joke, and this was well into his career, that Mark Messier leads the league in rookie mistakes every season. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he used to do. And it wasn't that he didn't, quite that he didn't care, but it was sort of. If you know the joke about the horse named Rover, it kind of applied to uh, Mark Messier. I won't repeat it on the family podcast, but uh, he uh, he was um, uh, he would do some careless stuff. Uh, but come playoff time, when it came time to lock down and pay attention to the 200 foot game, he was 
pretty much as good as there was uh, in the league. And I see some of that in Drysdale. I mean, obviously, we want to see more than one playoff year to confirm. And maybe this is the year. It'd be, uh, be good to see. This is the year. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for beating Toronto, Oilers. Yeah, thanks, Oilers. <laughs> and in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.